What's up, everybody? I'm Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. And with me, I have Jake Payne, our editor-in-chief. And together, this is our What's the Headline podcast. Doing a late-night edition tonight, we had to wait. We had to wait to celebrate Dre Day. How you doing, man? Man, I'm I'm loving it. You know, I'm I'm happy with the outcome of the game. This this uh this hoodie shows no allegiance. You and I were just talking. I didn't really have skin in the game. I would have been happy with either outcome. But what a great game. But more importantly, man, what a halftime show. Yeah, for real, man. This was my this was my skin in the game tonight. I was so excited, man. I could not wait for this Super Bowl halftime show. It's been We've known now since for about three months or so. Um, and dog. Uh, yeah. I could not wait. So let me ask you straight off. Did it did it meet your expectations? Yeah, it did, but not in the way that I expected. But let me put that same question back on you. Okay, interesting. Uh it did. It did. Um, I thought it was flawless. I thought it was really great. I expected something different. I expected um, I expected new music from Kendrick first of all. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was I thought it was an epic performance, and I, I can't wait to dive into it. Um, but first of all, if, and for if, the record, and for, wait, 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 for the record, yeah. this this is at ten twenty p.m. after the game. I mean, God only knows what, what is going to happen between now and midnight. But and you're referring to the performance, but the treats may still be get delivered. And if anything happens, please stay tuned to AmbrosiaForHeads.com. We got you on that. For sure. For sure. I, I, I do think that we're going to get new Kendrick music within the month. Um, mm-hmm. I think a single will drop. And if it's true to form, you know, he typically drops his first single like two weeks out, then the album comes. So I think mm-hmm. new, new, new Kendrick music is on the way. I mean, he told us that on a, um, a family um, family ties um, song where he said, you know, uh, new music coming, you know, I, I promise brothers. So I'm, I'm going to hold him to his promise, you know? For sure. For sure. Well, let me ask you another question. I mean, as we, as we start to talk about it, would you, I mean, Super Bowl halftime shows go back, you know, 25, 30 years, 40, this... 40, 45, something like that. Yeah. Really? Okay. Is this top five for you? Definitely top five. Definitely top, three? top five. It's top three. It's top three. Right. Um, you too? I agree. Now, let me ask you, though, what are the other two in the top three? I'm not going to ask you to rank them. We can do that later if we need. But what are the other two performances in that? I have a feeling ours are the same. So the other two are Prince and Beyonce. Damn. Okay. For me, you got Prince. Five. No, absolutely not. <laughs> You're trolling me right now. Insane. Uh, Janet. No, what, what? no, 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 no. I got Prince. And uh, for as much as I, I like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, it's Prince and Michael Jackson. That was a moment in the early 90s. I think that was one of the Dallas Buffalo, you know, um, and I just remember that. Maybe I was at that age, but I thought that that was a monumental performance um, in a different way than tonight was. Prince's was a different way than tonight, but tonight... Um, just as hip hop heads, as two guys who love West Coast history, love all of music. I mean, shout out to Mary and M. Um, man, what a what a moment. No shade on Michael Jackson, obviously, but I don't even remember the performance. You know, the Prince one was epic. Dude, like sings Purple Rain in the rain. In the rain. Like, I mean, how, how crazy does that get? Uh, and Beyonce was just epic to me because of the cultural impact. I mean, she yeah. was 
very, very, um, you know, unapologetically black. Uh, she did formation. Um, it was really, really uh, powerful for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. And that was a, that was certainly a good, you know, you do top five that's on there for sure. Yeah. So let, let's get into some of the past performances because a lot of people, and we've talked about this before when we first did the announcement about Dre doing the halftime show, a lot of people saw this as the first time hip hop was on the stage in a meaningful way. But I do want to give respect to those who kind of paved the way uh, on the Super Bowl stage for this moment. You know, starting with Queen Latifah back in 1998, she was actually the first MC to be on a Super Bowl halftime stage. And that was part of a salute to Motown's 40th anniversary, uh, Boys to Men, um, you know, a lot of the Motown legends part of that, and Queen Latifah. I think the UNITY album, um, I forget the name of the actual album, but but that um, the album that had that song was uh, on Motown. And so uh, a really great moment for her. Then 2001 was the next moment with Nelly. Uh, that was your um, your second favorite with NSYNC and Britney Spears and Mary J. Blige. That's... <laughs> I do not even remember that one. I'm going to level with you. I've... And I was watching a lot of football back then. I have no recollection of that one. Yeah, yeah that was the Kings of Rock and Pop. Um, and then uh, 2004 was the infamous Janet Jackson show. You know, no one remembers that Diddy was actually on that show. Um, Prince, incidentally, it was 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, now, th- I want to spend a little time on this one because this one is interesting to me. In, tw- in 2011, you had the Black Eyed Peas, and they were the headliner. So were they technically the first hip-hop act to headline the Super Bowl? And if if not, why? Yeah, I'm going to give it to them. You know, I... Uh... That was a weird thing. I mean, they really made a pivot, as we know, well before that. But there was still was was rap at the heart of it. And, you know, I don't I don't see any reason to to bend the narrative. You know, they, they can have that. What about you? Yeah, man, I think uh, I've got to give it up to them, you know, especially just knowing their history. And my first song that I remember of theirs was That's the Joint. That was pre-Fergie, very much, or Joints and Jams, I should say. Um, mm-hmm. That was very much... Uh, hip hop, underground hip hop, um, actually. And even though they were, you know, undeniably pop, there was definitely rap and a hip hop element to it. So, um, you know, I think it would be a disservice just to call them pop music. You know, I think, you know, a lot of times we want to sweep things that are of a certain genre. Um, You know, we want to like take it out of that genre when it gets to a certain success level. But, mm-hmm. you know, these guys were, they were hip-hop. They were pop hip-hop, but they were hip-hop nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, even down to those hits, you know, like, you know, um, and I know that was on Fergie's solo album, I think, but the Fergalicious joint. I mean, that was J.J. Fad Supersonic. Like, they always carried the culture with them in certain ways. And, you know, I I was not a fan of, of the pivot in the group, of course, but, you know, they did what they did, and... You know, at the time, I, I even remember speaking to Will I Am at that time and, and, and some of the other folks in the group, and they've always been hip hop. You're right. And I think that similar to I think we're having a different conversation, um, you know, 30 years later about MC Hammer and maybe Young MC or Tone Loke, different people, Coolio, give them their flowers. And and those are not songs that I still play with me, you know, play today. But Black Eyed Peas still has joints that I do play and I have bought their albums 
before all that, the first two albums, at least one of them, I bought when it came out. So I'm right there with you. Yeah. And then 2012 was Nicki Minaj and CeeLo. Um, you know, they were on uh, as, as um, kind of guest appearances. You had Missy Elliott doing the same in 2015. And then 2019 was Big Boy and Travis Scott joining Maroon 5. Uh, that was a controversial year. It was the year that the NFL was under fire for their treatment of Colin Kaepernick. Uh, you know, it was rumored that Jay-Z had been asked to perform and declined. And, mm-hmm. you know, shortly thereafter is when he actually accepted the role as kind of like their cultural curator, for lack of a better term, and, which is what led to this historic moment that we had tonight. And that year, correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, we were covering you and, and myself and our team at AFH in real time, but Jay was also in the ears of other people. I want to say Rihanna, and he was asking them, like, hey, in solidarity, don't do this, right? Like, it wasn't just Jay. There were other people that were turning down that role that eventually went to Big Boy and Travis. Yeah, Big Boy and Travis actually caught some heat for performing that night. But, you know, it worked out okay for both. And, you know, regardless, here we are 2021, and it's a similar moment. So, you know, before Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg were on the pop charts back in 1993 with The Chronic and Uh, Nothing But a G Thing and, um, you know, Dre Day and all the songs that came from that album. There was rap music on Top 40 radio, but it was Mm -hmm. the Young MCs of the world, the Tone Lokes, the Vanilla Ices, the MC Hammers, very much similar to the 2011 equivalent of Black Eyed Peas. It was pop-oriented hip-hop music. So I think that we can unequivocally say that this is the night, the first night that hardcore no compromise hip-hop took center stage and was headlining the super bowl you agree yeah uh 100 and and that was one of the things i wasn't i figure in 2022 dre and snoop and eminem and kendrick they're not going to pull punches but you know and, and we'll talk about it song by song moment by moment but when it opened with next episode I was like, okay, these guys got their way. Like, you know, I, I can't imagine that there was much that they that they were told no to that didn't make the final cut. And there was one thing that we'll talk about, but uh, you know, it's it it seemed like it was very much their show in a full circle moment. Yeah, man. The only thing that I I, I missed that I really wanted was nothing but a G thing. I, I had dreams of like of opening this podcast with one, two, three, and two, four. <laughs> And like saying, can you ever imagine seeing that? But there were other moments I would never imagine to have seen in Super Bowl halftime that we'll get into. Yeah, so- I wholeheartedly agree. And there was a bunch of Easter eggs in that performance um, that we'll also talk about uh, cues and iconography and just interesting things that I think people will be unpacking in time. Yeah. All right. So let's get into it. You probably caught stuff I didn't. Um, so, you know, um, first up, Starts off incredible graphics, an all-white stage. Um, any symbolism behind that? Why do you think they, they, they chose all-white? You know, I, that was one that I, I'm still putting together. It was, it was midway through the performance that I realized what they were stepping on. We'll talk about that. But, but the white, I don't, I really, that's one I don't know. What about you? I don't know, man. It was, uh, it was pristine. It, you know, it was kind of like a lab and maybe Dre was in the lab, um, you know, and they did nod to that, obviously, with the 50 cent moment. But, you know, uh, so we start with sick graphics and all white. 
Um, Maybe clean slate. Maybe they mean clean slate, new ownership, new chapter. You know, I took a couple humanities classes in college. You know, I can be interpretive. Maybe, maybe, you know, <laughs> but we got Dre sitting at the boards as he should be. And then you hear, you hear those, you hear those epic notes and, you know, they, they launch into next episode. So one of the things that I'd wondered was how they were going to manage the language. I didn't know if they were going to do um, edits or if they were just going to do radio friendly versions. Cause you know, back in the nineties, when songs like that dropped, like um, they actually had, they didn't have like um, edited versions where they, they bleeped out the words. They actually did, you know, uh, rewrite the lyrics in a way that was, you know, no curses. So they did that. And it was interesting to hear that, but uh, you think that was the right call to do that? Yeah, I was, I was really curious when they started with that, if, if it was going to go to a smoke weed every day, just given where L.A. is on with legalized marijuana, where, you know, Snoop's brand is, given that this is the guy who kind of brought weed rap to the mainstream, that part didn't happen. That that shocked me. But the way that they started the song, you know, I kind of figured they weren't going to go all the way to the end, especially without Nate Dogg. Yeah. Also, um, it, it it sounded pristine. And we've talked about this before. Live hip hop, a lot of times can go left, especially when it's records, because it muddles the sound. Um, but you know, when you have a band, it really allows it to open up and the vocals really penetrate. And they had a live band sounding incredible, um, you know, and allowed them to kind of really vamp on it too. It was also a nonstop medley. Never once was there a pause in the music. It was almost like a DJ set, and you could really hear. Dre's DJ skills kind of come to life with how he he mixed this and arranged this set. That's a really good point. And I, I caught that too. And there wasn't these breaks for applause, but you could feel the energy. Like it was like watching a movie where as the medley went on, I started to realize we were getting to the end. Like you started to feel the crescendo and know that there wasn't going to be something else, but I've never seen anything like that. Usually there's, I mean, you've produced award shows, like there's that beat where boom, you know, lights change, camera moves, something else comes out. And this was, you know, like theater in the round. It was just dope. Yeah. Your point about the musicians, I mean, there was obviously one very special musician we later got to in the performance, but I will, one of the things that I look forward to reading is um, who some of those musicians were, if they were the players, you know, with Death Row, with Aftermath, you know, cause a lot of the folks that worked, especially on Doggy Style, like Carl Butch Small, like he worked with Parliament Funkadelic, a lot of those musicians, you know, L.A. Dre. And I was looking on tonight's event and some of the guys were younger, you know, but some of them I'm like, that could very well be. And, and Dre is always very deliberate of going to get the person with just the right sound, just the right lick. So um, that's one of the things I look forward to unpacking. Yeah, I was looking closely, too. I thought we might see Thundercat on there. I thought we might see Terrace Martin. Um, neither one of them um, actually were, were present, but or at least that I saw. But I, I agree with you. There's probably some some names there that have been really meaningful on some of the albums that we've been listening to over the decades. Uh, so, you know, we got a couple of nods to Tupac tonight. You know, so next up was California Love. Um, you know, Dre did that by himself, which was really dope. Were you right. expecting California Love? Yeah, you know, um, I actually intentionally didn't think too hard about what the set list was going to be because I really wanted to be surprised. I've got mm -hmm. this thing where if I'm going to a concert or seeing a live performance, I usually don't listen to the music of the artist for two weeks because I don't want to be burned out on it. 
And I've been fiending for hearing like Dre music, especially with all the nostalgia of, of the past week, which we'll get into a little bit later. But I held off and um, I just wanted to, I wanted to enjoy it as a fan, you know? So, um, but I thought of you when they did California Love, because this is when we got one of the first wide shots of the entire set. And yeah. Uh, we saw the cars in front, and I, I was like, "I bet you, my man Jake is is noting what those cars are." So, did uh, my uncle Marty texted me too? I love I love old cars, and as a kid, I I used to subscribe to Lowrider magazine. Like I grew up on in, in Pittsburgh, which is very far from the West Coast, but I always just liked the way those cars were painted and preserved. It was a '62, a '63, and a '64 Chevy, and whoever curated that series. Um, I love it. And, and I always, you know, I mean, that that's been a big part of Dre and Snoop getting back together. We saw that. I don't know, were you at were you working at Viacom when they did the night with Carson Daly in Times Square with the, you know, the brigade of lowriders when they introduced the still Dre video? No, I don't think so. I thought that was 99. So no, I wasn't. Yeah. There yet. Yeah. yeah, incredible TV moment. But I, you know, I know it was part of the up and smoke tour and a lot of things that Dre does. But you know what you're getting when you see those cars. Now, were these Impalas or what kind of Chevys were they? Chevys, yeah. Chevy Impalas or Biscaynes, you know. Um, Impala was the top of the line, you know, besides the Bel Air. But they, it looked great. And the fact that they were there, that's not even something you necessarily expect on that field. But they did it. And um, obviously, one of the things I caught as the performance went is they're on a mat, which is, you know, it seemed like it might be projected. Is that the impression you got, that it was projected – and it was South Central Los Angeles is what they were standing on. Oh, cool. Um, That's dope. That's dope. The, the grid. And, and at, you know, one point I'll make, just because at AFH, we keep it a being, like, interesting point. And I'm going to give a shout out to uh, Natalie Weiner. She's, you know, a sports writer and a music journalist. Some of those same blocks were destroyed to build SoFi Stadium. So you got to keep it a being with that. But um, I thought that it was really interesting. And, and Compton was obviously a huge part of the set. But um, anyway, continue. Yeah, you mentioned my time at BT. Uh, so one of our key partners in producing all those award shows, BT Awards, Hip Hop Awards, Black Girls Rock, and so forth, is a guy named Jesse Collins. Um, and Jesse uh, is a guy who produced the Oscars last year. And it was him and his team that produced this halftime show. So really, oh, wow. really dope. Yeah, really, really dope. And, you know, he's a dude, California dude. Um, you know, really dope to see him. Uh, just literally owning the biggest stage with Dre. That's incredible. And uh, I'm sure that, you know, when they make those agreements early on, you know, Dre probably gets his choice of producer. And I thought, you know, that's a testament too, because I know that name not only through you, but just through years of award shows, but, you know, bravo on that. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, and seeing that wide shot, we saw the cars, but then we also got to really see the the, the scope of the dancers too. And it felt like it was 50, maybe even 100 dancers out there. But what was your impression of the choreography? At this point, when it's still California love, I looked at my girl and I was like, this is kind of corny. I didn't love the dancers. And obviously, I think, you know, they were a little bit spaced out. That might have been kind of a whatever we're in post-COVID precaution. Now, later, as the medley progressed, I took that statement back big time. But at California love, it still seemed a little bit confused to me. What about yeah. you? Yeah, you know, I was uh, I wasn't really I didn't know what direction they were taking it, but it was short lived because then all of a sudden we heard those scents that are so recognizable. And um, this was not a surprise to me at all, but it was cool to see the way that they they um, they carried it out. 
know, we heard the, the, the famous notes of 50 cents in the, in the club and you yeah. see 50 like upside down in his like tank top. Now the internet is undefeated. Um, you know, they, they show before and after pictures of 50 back in 20, uh, 2003, when, it, when the song video first came out, he was looking super buffed and, yeah. and today, and they said 50 cent is now a full dollar. Uh, so. <laughs> Listen, I'm not allowed to laugh at that, but you know, that was funny. Honestly, I predicted that we would get 50 Cent all along. I thought that we would get 50 Cent and Anderson Pack. Those were the two special guests I imagined. Um, and then in a way, I was right. A couple people were texting me that I spoke to. The 50 performance was cool. Um, I, <laughs> it's funny. Like, I still think that that is his best song. It's one of those cases where, and I know there's folks that know the mixtape catalog and love 50, and I know that's sacrilege. But, you know, that's the joint that I always thought, you know, push 50 over the top. Um, probably of the bigger moments, that was my weakest link. But by no measure did I think it was bad. There were no mess ups. I thought it was cool that they did a callback to the video. I mean, that moment, you know, three, four years after the 2001 album was a big you know, again, like an inflection point for Dre. And he kind of reinvented himself. He brought an East Coast artist in the game. It was cool. You need that. You need that moment. But in terms of the performance and all of that, it wasn't my favorite. You know, that song is like timeless for me. Uh, it's one of my favorite songs. So I was happy to see it. I, I did appreciate the fact that they nodded to the video. You know, you mentioned surprise appearance. Uh, this was was not a surprise. In fact, it was leaked. Um, there was some footage um, that someone recorded a couple of days ago and leaked it. So no surprise, but, you know, no big deal, because I think it was kind of a thinly veiled surprise anyway. The one that I was surprised didn't happen is Ice Cube. I thought mm -hmm. Cube might come out, you know, just because the close Dre affiliation. And this, this was clearly a celebration of Dr. Dre. You know, we, we talked about it. This was our headline that this was going to be Dre Day and uh, everybody was celebrating. And we'll, we'll get to like some, some you know, uh, very concrete evidence of, about that in a few minutes. But, you know, Dre and Q go back to the very beginning, you know, with, uh, with NWA. And I think it would have been really dope to have it was a good day as part of this. Yeah, I mean, and, and the interesting thing about that, I mean, obviously Dre didn't produce the record, but, but it is so synonymous with L.A. and it's G-Funk and it's all of that. I would have thought you might have gotten a couple notes of straight out of Compton, just as a nod to Easy e like looking at the full spectrum of Dre. And, and one of the things, um, so I agree with you on that. And But I still expected 50 because he's always tied into that, you know, that they were called back then the three-headed monster of of, of Eminem, 50 and Dre. And that still kind of exists as they've gone in life kind of different ways. Um, there was, you know, you didn't get any NWA music. You got nothing. Uh, I'm trying to think of the oldest record we got was like, I mean, was it California Love? Was it 95, 96? Yeah, something like that. Uh, yeah, we, we didn't get anything from the chronic, which is no surprising. crazy. Yeah. No chronic, no, no doggy style. Yeah. Um, but what was interesting is, is, you know, at this point when the cameras pulled out, you mentioned the low riders, you see the set. Um, and it's really interesting because even when Snoop is doing the next episode part, there's a wall behind him and in, in the, in kind of the room. And one of the framed photos is playing the morph of Snoop into the actual dog animal from the What's My Name video, which I loved. I mean, that 93 video 
I want to say F. Gary Gray did it. It might have been Fab Five Freddy was insane. Like that video was nuts. And that was a cool homage. And then when you pull out of the the kind of the, the structure, you have Eve After Dark, which if you saw the Straight Outta Compton movie or you've ever read Dre interviews when he used to do them, that was the club where World Class, World Class Wrecking Crew made noise. And ultimately out of that club, NWA was born because Easy e saw Dre and Yella. So that was a cool callback. The other thing, did you catch the other kind of sign? There was a marquee. Um, that I saw later that it had 50 and Anderson's name on it. At that point, Anderson hadn't shown up yet, but you knew you were going to get him. But did you see the other L.A. Uh, sign? I saw a sign. I think it said Eve after dark, but I didn't so know. I didn't know what, what that what the significance of that was. So that's the club. There was also and this was wild to me. And, it, and, and you really saw it. And we'll talk about it in a second with Kendrick. But you saw a Tam's Burger sign, which mm-hmm. is crazy. So I, you know. Um, I think I've been to Compton once or twice in my life, just kind of passing through from place to place, but I haven't, you know, I haven't um, spent much time there up until 2015. I didn't know of Tam's burgers. You know, I really learned of that through the, you know, tragic death of Terry Carter and clay bone Sloan. I know, I knew clay back in the day. Um, and that's where Suge Knight, you know, did that. And that, that, that stand, and there's several locations around that part of LA, was also used in um, some trailers for Straight Outta Compton that involved Kendrick and like folks hanging out in their element. But the fact that they included that, Tam's Burgers, like, you know, that's not Pink's Hot Dogs, that's not Randy's Donuts, that's like Tam's. I was like, is this a tongue-in-cheek thing to kind of remind you of, of who's on stage and who's nowhere to be found right now? I could be wrong, but I thought it was a very interesting choice. Yeah, and speaking of choice, like I'm, I'm curious as to how they arrived at the final set list. You know, because the Chronic and Doggy Style, like we said, were such crucial albums in Dr. Dre's catalog. I'm wondering if, in addition to sanitizing the lyrics, they decided they weren't going to go with those albums because of the controversial titles of the albums, and they didn't want to leave room for any kind of negative commentary tomorrow you know with you know which you know is inevitable with the fox news and, and places like that but w- why do you think that they chose the songs that they did yeah i don't know i mean i would imagine dre gets some creative control um you know and, and one of the bigger stories in in the last five or six years involving dre on afh you know he owns the chronic he got the rights back even after he left death row so it's not a financial thing but maybe it was these guys um, you know, I think of the songs that they chose, even, and I'm jumping ahead, but, you know, still Dre, forgot about Dre. They're more mature, you know, um, Doggy Style and Chronic, incredible, iconic albums. I consider them classics. I'm sure that you do, too. There's stuff on there that is still, you know, even in Nothing But a G thing that still doesn't necessarily play out today. Maybe they just made a choice for Legacy. Yeah, yeah. yeah it could have been BPMs, could have been a lot of things. But so next up, we had um mary j and this was i was really happy to see they truly gave her a moment on this you know uh, a lot of people uh saw her as kind of an afterthought on this you know we got a lot of flack because we didn't include her on the headline um but you know obviously she was there as part of the dre day celebration starting off a family affair produced by dre Uh, that was again not unexpected what I did not expect, though, was for them to to go into no more drama. You know, I thought they might do real love or something like that. Uh, but no more drama was really, really interesting. And 
you know, a great DJ, you know, I watched the Quest, Quest Love Masterclass, you know, great DJ doesn't just keep going up, up, up. You got to have moments of like, you know, when it goes down in order to bring the energy back up and make it more climatic. So, um, and, and she also like really just, you know, she did her merry thing. She like gave it her all. And it was great to see that celebration of her. I agree. I thought that Mary might be just kind of a little piece of the seasoning of this performance, you know, come out, do no more drama. You might get real love. Boom. Keep it moving. And no, like that, that performance of, uh, or do family affair, that performance of no more drama was insane. And it was really one of the surprise moments of this. She absolutely killed it. And that was, as you said, a, a moment. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then, uh, you know, the moment came where uh, Kendrick, you know, um, you hadn't seen him. You'd seen Mary, you'd seen Dre, you'd seen Snoop, you know, on camera. But we had not seen Kendrick at all prior to this. And he came out of like a box and, you know, um, interestingly came out with Mad City. Uh, He only did a snippet of it. But, uh, you know, that's been a signature of his. I was actually in the building the night he performed it at the Grammys, the infamous year where he lost uh, Best Rap Album to Macklemore uh, and Ryan Lewis um, for the heist, um, you know, and he performed that song, Mad City, with Imagine Dragons and a mashup of, of Radioactive, and it was absolutely crazy. And, and in some ways, to me, it cemented his legacy as a live performer on the big stage. So it was great to see him nod at, at Mad City. But then... You heard, you know, all my life I had to fight and, you know, you knew he had to do all right. You know, given everything that the NFL has gone through over the last several years, uh, L.A., what that song has meant for the Black Lives Matters movement. um, You know, there there was no question he was going to do all right. And I think it's still probably his most most anthemic and uh, important song in his catalog. And that's a lot to say for a dude who's got a Pulitzer. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I didn't, I did see All Right coming. I thought that there would, for all the reasons you just said, I never in a million years thought that Kendrick would even nod to Mad City. Um, and let's not forget, I mean, Kendrick's Dr. Dre produced catalog is slim to none. Like, that's always been one of the great, you know, Dre has mixed his records sometimes, not even always. But we have never gotten that, even that treatment that you get with the game or that you got in the early Eminem records. Um, But to come out with Mad City was like, I knew that this was something special. That was one of those moments. Um, And that song, I mean, you speak of the Grammy performance, you know, up until he released Damn, that was the most streamed Kendrick song on Spotify. Never had a video, was never serviced as a single. It features MC8. I mean, that was a huge, like, you know, comeback record of sorts for him of, or like a, a legacy record. So for Kendrick to go back a decade and do that, I loved it. And um, at the same time too, I mean, what do you think of the fashion choice? I love the fact that Kendrick didn't position himself as, you know, a kid in the mad city. He came out kind of on his MJ shit. Yeah. He came out fly, you know, and Kendrick, he does that. If you, if you saw the damn tour, he was very much like that too. He had some outfit changes, but he wasn't just wearing a t-shirt and jeans and like keeping, he was, he had silk on and was like really kind of doing it up. So uh, I thought that was dope, but also on the wardrobe side is when uh, the dancers had on banners um, and, you know, they, they were almost like marching band banners and they had Dre day. So it was very, very clear 
what this moment was. This was a celebration of Dr. Dre. But, but you know, um, let me ask you a question. The dancers during the Kendrick section all uh, were all black men, all had their hair dyed blonde, even their facial hair. So, you know, there's nothing that 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 doesn't have a, a meaning with Kendrick. Do you have any idea why, why he would do that? No, I was interested in choreography. I mean, those men also seem to be men of a certain age. They were somewhere between like 35 and 45, but like everything was deliberate. And I can't, you know, I didn't take enough humanities classes to unpack that one. But what I will say is I know I was critical of, of the, the dancers, all of them, maybe during California Love, like trying to figure out what was going to happen. By the Kendrick performance, it was insane. I mean, you alluded to it at the top of the podcast, the, the, the tight choreography with Beyonce's show, whatever that was, almost 10 years ago. This was like super rehearsed and tight. You know, like Kendrick moved like a dignitary and it was just such a dope, um, distinction from what you got with 50, what you got from Snoop and Dre and Mary. So I'm going to go out on a limb. So first of all, um, I saw a breakdown, excellent breakdown of the uh, Family Ties video um, by Complex, where um, the person was talking about the fact that there's this one scene where um, one group is wearing all black and another group is wearing all white. And it talked about like um, the, 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 the racial battles there. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that we're going to see um, these visuals of uh, black men with dyed blonde hair and facial hair uh, somewhere in Kendrick's album rollout. Um, I'm going to just plant that seed and say this is not the last time we're going to get more insight into that. And Top Dog's going to call you, man. Your phone's going to be ringing and be like, <laughs> take that part out. But, but get Top on the jokes. phone. <laughs> <laughs> Jokes aside, though, Kendrick, I mean, you know, I cannot think of an artist, you know, especially in hip hop, who's been more masterful with symbolism, but color specifically matters to Kendrick. Um, you know, album covers like the two versions of Damn, but also I think of his sneaker partnerships, both with Nike and Reebok, of the red and the blue, like the way that he's used color to represent unity and disunity at times, you know, within the, within the you know, South Central LA, like, I am totally drinking, you know, what you're saying right now. I think that makes sense. Yeah. So Kendrick ends with, um, oh, it's not a freestyle, but he, he does kind of like have a couple of words that like are a new verse, but not like from a new song, but really kind of a nod to Dre. And he talks about something to the effect of 35 summers and they forgot about Dre, uh, which is a segue obviously into, um, you know, forgot about Dre. And this is when we see Eminem appear. And again, they were really good about just dropping snippets of songs as, as segues um, to really expand the catalog that they're performing. So we got, you know, 15 songs instead of 10 or whatever it might might have been. Um, but then Eminem comes into a song that was also, it was a surprise to me that they did it just because of the theme and it being Dr. Dre. But it made tons of sense given the stage that it was and given, you know, the performer for them to do Lose Yourself. You know, obviously Eminem's biggest song, such an epic, like, uh, stadium song to perform. And to see him do that um, on that stage was incredible. And I think this is when that musical guest that you mentioned uh, popped up also. Yeah, we got to look at the band and Anderson Pack, Anderson Pack, um, you know, playing drums, which, you know, we've seen at other times, Free Nationals, you know, his own shows. Uh, the last time I saw him, I think, 
perform was with you at a J. Cole. They, the, he and Free Nationals, Free Nationals were there, right? Yeah. Open for, for J. Cole at the Barclays Center. And for a long time, I mean, he plays drums and then moves to the mic, which is such a classic, cool ability that you just don't often see in hip hop. Um, but yeah, that was cool. And, you know, I got to tell you, just getting back to the forgot about Dre thing, if you would have asked me last week, I would have thought that that was a record that lived in a vacuum. Like it was so cool in 99 because it was the thesis statement of 2001 as an album. Um, but I wouldn't tell you that it aged especially well. Like I thought it was a really, you know, keystone of that album. But it's not something like if you catch me in the car and I only am driving the length of two or three songs, I never cue that one up. Like there's other songs that were performed tonight that I go to. The performance of that reminded me like it took me back you know, uh, what, 23 years ago to embrace that song for the masterpiece that it is. And it was such a cool moment in tonight to give Dre his flowers and his, 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 his wreck. Yeah. You know, it was never my favorite song Um, that like real Slim Shady and, you know, songs like that to me were very much designed to be commercial friendly songs and top 40 pop type songs. So I understood their purpose but um, they were never my favorites on the album. They were the ones that I would skip through. Um, they definitely got burned out in terms of how much they were played on the radio and uh, on videos and things like that. But, you know, thematically, it, it was dope, um, you know, and I think that um, it stood the test of time. Although, you know, it's ironic because I don't think everyone, anyone has ever forgotten Dre. He stayed in the limelight. He stayed in the mainstream. He's been a, um, a, a cultural icon. I think throughout for the last 20 years, like I, I can't think of a time where people didn't think Dr. Dre was relevant. So it's, it's, it's an ironic song. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and, and that's a fair point. Um, I, I've been critical of Eminem. I'm, I'm sure on this podcast, I think there are, there are times, especially in the last 10 years where, where Marshall has pandered. I think that he's chased trends. I think he's done that with music. I think he's done that by kind of doing some of the same things you're talking about, like in those videos, he would always, you know, diss Carson Daly and diss Moby and diss Britney Spears. And there've been times recently where I've just like, I don't, I don't know how to take you. Um, And I thought that tonight, I mean, the big, the buried headline is that Eminem kneeled, you know, at the end of this performance Um, in what I believe to be a call in Kaepernick's stance, you know, it was a very deliberate kneel, of showing solidarity with that movement. And first of all, I thought that M's performance was super tight tonight. You know, I just thought his delivery, you know, and he was commanding on the stage. He shows you why he's an, he's a world-class MC. But I thought that that gesture, which will inevitably have people upset for days and weeks to come, um, you know, was another example of walking it as he's talked it or vice versa. And let's not forget, I mean, I know that, you know, the Revival album, you know, lives in infamy and, and you know, launched a thousand ships and Joe Budden podcast and all of these different things. Um, you know, that album, he was extremely critical of the Trump presidency and a lot of the same things. So for M to do that tonight, when the NFL, based on what I've read, based on what I've heard, said, you do not do this on stage. Um, I just, you know, I, I give him a salute on that. Yeah, he showed he's a superstar, man, and he stands for something. He's this is the guy who did Mosh too, you know, during the first Bush election. He's he's often he did the, the he used the cipher freestyle to 
to go with Donald Trump. Like he's always been a guy to take a stand on for what he believes in. Uh, and tonight he took a knee, you know, and I, I thought that it was one of his best performances. I, I liken it to that Grammy performance he did with the Roots where he did Lose Yourself, which was also really epic. Um, it's interesting because he had done an interview with Sway in the morning or with Sway uh, earlier in the week. And he talked about himself and how he's nervous. And you don't think of a dude like Eminem getting nervous, but he's like, yeah, of course I'll get nervous. And, and he also was in that uh, conversation where he talked about Kendrick Lamar being a top tier lyricist. And he, and he went out of his way to say not of his generation, but of all time. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was kind of cool for, for um, to see the two of them share the stage and go back to back like that. I agree. And just one thing, not to dwell on politics, but, you know, I, I um, right at the commercial break before halftime, I actually went on foxnews.com just to see, you know, what their perspective of the game was, you know, and what their perspective was of anything. And the headline that they ran with is NFL shows everyone standing for the anthem during the warmup, something to that effect. And it was, it's just an interesting point because, you know, again, I don't know how many folks, you know, that might not agree with Eminem tune in for the BET awards or, you know, and, he, and that's what he did with revival, but this is the Super Bowl. This is the highest stage. And it, it makes me wonder as the headlines roll out this week, what upsets you more, you know, a nip slip on television or someone taking a knee, like there's a lot of discourse and fodder that can come out of this. And then of course you have a racial element too, of, you know, Justin and Janet, Janet can't come back to the stage. And here you have a white guy, doing what you know a black man did that people found you know so polarizing i'm just you know hip-hop in that act did what hip-hop's supposed to do which is challenge convention or word and you know uh before losing ourselves in the moment i do want to go back and talk (laughs) about anderson pat and just how much joy was on his face as he was pounding those drums man you could just see how happy he was to be there and that, that was amazing i'm glad he got that shine Absolutely. And he very much should be there because I look at Anderson as a continuation of Dre. And just like Kendrick, you know, Anderson and Dre have records together, but the hugest records, that's not the case, you know. And uh, but Anderson is, you know, I, I I will make this prediction right now that we see Anderson pack on a Super Bowl halftime stage again. Mm, I hope so. He's such a talented performer. One of my favorites of the last 20 years. Just incredible. I, I had a I feel like a three year run where I saw him like 15 times, something insane like that, you know, but so we have that, those crescendos, right. We have like, you know, Dre coming out and 50, then we, we take it down for Mary. Then we go up for like um, Eminem and, and Kendrick. And then we, we did another, like kind of like dip in energy, but not in a bad way. A very, very cool. Like we see Dre at the piano and you remember this dude is an, a dope musician too. Like, and he's playing another another uh, Tupac night. He does "I Am Mad at You" just a snippet on the piano, um, which is dope. Ton, ton yeah. of symbolism there, though. You know, because again, it's one of those cases. I mean, one of the things that I didn't expect. You know, even "Lose Yourself" is not a Dr. Dre production. I think I think M produced that himself. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong. But, you know, I am mad at you was credited to Daz, you know, on all eyes on me. And, and after Dre left death row um, about two or three weeks after, um, you know, all eyes came out and there was already a tumultuous relationship. Legend has it that they just started giving things that he worked on away to other people and basically said, you know, do what you will about it. And that's why, you know, the melody of that song is similar to what he did with Blackstreet, you know, um, which, again, I think several people worked on that. 
And it was cool because Dre doing that, I looked at it as a multiple thing. It was a tongue in cheek reminder of his, you know, virtuosity. Mm. If that's, but it was also, I think, a message to Pac. You know, like they played California Love. And obviously, Tupac didn't write that song about Dre. And when Pac died, from what history says, their relationship was not good. You know, Pac had made great, you know, defamations of character at Dre. But I thought that that was a symbolic moment of like, yo, somewhere, I mean, we're in LA, we're doing this, we're on the highest level, you're here too. Obviously, they had performed California Love, but it was also a reminder of like, yo, man, people really tried to 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 pull shit off my name. And I just thought it was, you know, I, I might be making a mountain out of a molehill, but I think there's something there. I love that interpretation, man. Um, you know, uh, I love that interpretation. But we got Dre still at the piano, and then he he goes into those uh, those classic chords from Still Dre on the piano, and uh, you know that was a moment. Um, that was a crazy moment. You know, him and Snoop opened it. Him and Snoop closed it out. But we saw Crip walking at the Super Bowl. Uh, did you ever think you would see Crip walking <laughs> at the Super Bowl? I, uh, I pointed it out to some folks that I was in the room with because there was a conversation the other day about it. I did not. And shout out to Dub C and CJ Mack and all the other people that have, you know, kept that that part of the street culture alive and on front street. And Snoop has, you know, he's been an ambassador of that. I think I think he was involved in the documentary back in the day on it. So, no, I never in a million years saw that in, in Snoop's outfit which, you know, was a blue bandana, but then had some gold accents, I think, showing, you know, who he wanted to win that, you know, tonight. Um, you know, he, def- he definitely put on, for, uh, put on for his. So now what do you think? There's going to be controversy because people love to make controversy out of anything. Uh, but between this, the crip walking and uh, Eminem taking a knee and anything else we might have missed. What do you, what do you think the controversy, the controversial headline is going to be tomorrow or tonight? You know, it's just going to continue the dividing line again, but we might be getting Casey Musgraves doing the Super Bowl halftime show in 2023 and then, and then back to hip hop and then back to, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, do you anticipate anything in particular? First of all, I love Casey Musgrave, so no shade to her. Um, yeah. It's all good, man. Um, I saw something the other day where, um, you know, the person said that the, the answer to free speech uh, is, is more free speech. You know, so, you know, okay, we got hip-hop this year. Do country next year. Do, you know, yeah. rock the, the next year. Like, that's all good to me. Just make sure that, that everyone is represented at some point. Yeah, I like that. I mean, and and this is Dr. Dre and this is Snoop and there's a lot of catalog there and I'm sure there's a lot of catalog as well as Eminem. I'm not sure with Kendrick or Mary, but there's a lot of catalog that these grown men might not be so proud of today. You know, they might have been proud of it yesterday, but what was upsetting to some wasn't misogyny tonight. It wasn't the endorsement of smoking pot, although that doesn't seem to be as hot button issue as it once was. That's something that people tend to agree on. If anything, it was, you know, uh, crip walking and and the knee. Um, and the knee, again, I'm proud of that it came from, you know, like you want to be mad. Okay, now be mad at a white guy, you know, for doing it. And not to say that, I mean, there have been athletes throughout sports, you know, white athletes, men and women um, that have done that. But it, it advances the conversation in a different way. And, uh, yeah, I'll be very curious to see how this plays out. So, okay, we talked about our top three Super Bowl halftime shows. 
Um, let's talk about greatest ever. Is this, in your opinion, the greatest ever hip hop halftime show? You know, it's tricky because Prince, you know, is no longer with us. And that was, that was such an epic one. I didn't, was that in Florida? Was that in Miami? I think. Yeah, I think it was Miami. Yeah. And I mean, it was the Colts playing the bears, you know, it doesn't have the poetry of, you know, LA, you know, in Inglewood, you know, Rams. I'm going to still give it to Prince, but I think that this is absolutely top three and I'll bet anybody, you know, uh, a three course dinner on that. What about you? Yeah, I got to give it to Prince, man. Uh, just, he just was one person just commanded that stage and showed everyone that he is, arguably the greatest musical artist of a generation, you know, um, and as great as this was, as symbolic as it was, um, no shade to this. It just, it's just a testament to how great Prince was. So yeah, I got to yeah. give it to Prince. This one was cool. And, and certainly, you know, there were no, um, there were no slips. I know I, I was honest about, you know, 50, maybe being my weakest link, but even that was cool. And I never expected the way that it played out. This was not cookie cutter, um, and as you mentioned, it, it flowed in a way that I hope raises the bar on medleys of this kind across performances and, and TV moments, you know, for years to come. Yeah, you know, a lot of times with these, it'll, it'll seem like they're just trying to cram as much as they can in. They're obviously max, uh, mixing up genres to like attract as many people and inevitably mm-hmm. something feels like it's out of place. But tonight, everything just flowed so well. And there was nothing that, that stuck out as like not really being part of the set. It was just a really great set. So, you know, we talked about some of the, the iconography and the fashion choices and the cars. Snoop wore what I believe is the biggest label medallion I've ever seen in my life. Um, you know, at least in hip hop history. Um and it was very significant. You want to you want to talk about that? I think it's the biggest story we've had yet this year. Yeah, I mean, you you predicted this actually a few weeks ago with a headline that you that you ran. You were following this story closely, and um, Snoop had posted on I on IG uh, just four letters B O D R, um, you know, an acronym that you know didn't we we didn't know what the significance of it was, and then. A couple weeks later, he announced uh, that he was releasing music in conjunction with the Super Bowl performance, um, and it was back on death row. And, um, you know, we went on a limb and said that it was going to be more than just a nostalgic song title. We thought that Snoop Dogg was likely going to have had an ownership stake or something like that in death row records. And as it turned out, that prediction was true. This week, he bought the trademark to death row records, which is unreal so you know uh next time someone purchases this t-shirt they're gonna be putting a little bit of money in snoop dogg's pocket now the nuance is that he bought the trademark uh he does not own the catalog yet but um he's saying that he's going to go back and buy the music too um and obviously he has the ability to release music now under that label you know um so he dropped an album I'm very nostalgic um, in some ways. Uh, it has a song featuring uh, unreleased Nate Dogg vocals on it. Um, the first song on that that album, I forget the name of the, of the song, uh, but it's called, the, the album's back on Death Row. But the song uh, has him recounting the history of Death Row. And it's talks called about, Still Smoking. Uh, still Smoking. It's called Still Smoking. Still yeah. Smoking. And he like name checks everyone from Suge to, to Dre to Harry O and Lydia Harris 
you know, um, you know, who were investors in Death Row Records back at the time, even though um, I think Harrio was already in jail at that point. Um, but um, a really incredible, um, monumental achievement for Snoop Dogg, um, you know, who you know, was literally facing murder charges uh, at the beginning of his career, has overcome that, overcome so many obstacles, overcome like, you know, a really unceremonious departure from death row, uh, probably you know financial hardship at that time, and has um, you know just continually defied the odds and been an incredible entrepreneur, and now going back to to take ownership and the label that launched his career. These are my favorite stories. Um, you know, I love them in sports. I love them in all of music. But we're seeing more and more of them in hip hop. You know, I think of you know Big Boy buying back the house where Outkast and Goody Mob kind of formed the Dungeon Family. You know, even five, six years ago when Dre got the rights to the chronic, you know, back from death row. Um, this story is one to just sing from the mountaintops. I think it's absolutely incredible. And as I said, you know, in our episode two episodes ago, I think it it's the best thing that death row can possibly do as an entity, regardless of who owns it. Snoop Dogg is somebody who can bring this to the light. He's somebody who has close associations with the legacy artists. He also has the ability to hopefully give death row uh, a lasting new artist, you know, if that goes that way. And, and yeah, I mean, to your point, you know, with the shirt on the last few weeks, Snoop has been covering himself in death row apparel and merchandise. And, you know, even in recent years, I think I saw shirts at urban outfitters and I see more and more, you know, young people wearing the shirts and wearing the beanies and the caps. Um, It's cool to have this revival. And to your point, you know, the personal hardships of, of a label that went tremendously out of their way after Snoop had left. And let's not forget, it wasn't that Snoop left because there were greener pastures. The label sold Snoop's contract to No Limit, to Masterpiece, No Limit Records for reportedly $4 million. Like, that's like, you know, I was trading Ben Simmons or, you know, that's, that's trading your player away because the label needed it. Um, and Snoop suffered for that you know, for years and years, not just defamation to his name, you know, death row on, on Wilshire Boulevard used to put up billboards that would make fun of Snoop. If you were driving down, you would see, um, and to now own the company is, is remarkable. And um, I saw Shaw Money XL posted on IG that, you know, to see one billionaire on stage tonight with, you know, Dre, Snoop is on his way. And the way that economics work, he very well could be, you know? Yeah. Really incredible, man. Um, what did you think of the album? Um, I thought the album was was a letdown. I think that, you know, I think that Snoop's last great album um, was Blue Carpet Treatment in 2006. Um, and that was an interesting, that was one of the cases where he reunited with Dre for a few songs. He had Timberland and it was Snoop really investing his time in his art. And um, over the years, you know, I, I did a cover story for The Source in 2008 with Snoop got an interface with him just you know a little bit over the years um i think he's a very passionate individual but like a lot of us i mean he is a he is a commodity you know he's he's a he's somebody who has a show with martha stewart he's somebody that you know runs a multimedia compound in la he has ggn like when i when i think of somebody's schedule snoop has to be one of the biggest busiest people in entertainment and this album, I think, you know, shows that. I think that it's a bit scattered. I think it's cool on Instagram. I think it's great for merchandise. 
But I think that if Snoop really would have taken three months or six months and just locked himself in the studio, it doesn't necessarily have to mean that, you know, he needs to do songs with Lady of Rage and RBX. And, but to put himself in that mind state and come up with a full body of work, I think he had an incredible, perhaps once in a career opportunity to do so. Um, and I think he missed his mark. Um, but that being said, that that in no way tarnishes my happiness for the accomplishment. But did you have a chance to listen to the album yet? Yeah, I did. And I, I would agree with your assessment um, wholeheartedly, you know, across the board, like incredibly happy for him in this moment, uh, especially the, the repurchase of Death Row. Um, great to see him on the Super Bowl stage. He's done everything from like hang with Martha Stewart to, you know, film and TV. He's kind of done it all. But this album, you know, was was not anything memorable to me. Uh, you know, I appreciated the Nate Dogg song we put on the playlist. Um, you know, it's always great to hear his vocals. I didn't even know there were still unreleased Nate Dogg vocals out there. Um, but I do believe that Snoop is one of those artists who even, you know, nearing 50 or maybe he is even 50 at this point, is capable of a great album again. And I would love to see him like really just hunker down, concentrate, and uh, put out like uh, another like kind of classic, you know, I think that would be, really cement his legacy musically. You know, 10 years ago when Raekwon, you know, got a really nice second moment in the sun with the Purple Tape 2 and everyone was, you know, AZ, who we recently spoke to, you know, announced Doer died too. And Stillmatic, you know, was still fresh in the minds of people. Snoop promised Doggy Style too. And, and I look at him and for the same reasons that maybe they didn't do gin and juice and, um, you know, <laughs> ain't no fun tonight. Um, Snoop's a different guy and, and it's challenging on how you go back to that part of yourself. And I thought that the rollout was interesting of Snoop posting photos from, you know, a younger guy, a menacing guy, uh, you know, somebody who was with the most notorious label in music history, but he didn't compromise. You know, it's interesting, even that Nate Dogg song that's on our playlist called Out the Box, um, the message is peace. The message is unity and brotherhood. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I would love Snoop to make the kind of music again, that's a one, but I got to give huge props to the guy who knows that there's a bigger bag in music. If he wants to snap back and, and go into the gangster mode at, at close to 50, but instead he uses his platform for peace. And anyone who's ever spent two minutes around Snoop knows that that's who he is. Like, Loves music, loves loves sharing the light with other people. And that's what he's about. And I'm really curious to see um, what he can do for Death Row. I read an interview with John Payne, no relation to me, who's been you know at the helm of the company, one of the people that has stayed with the Death Row assets and catalog since Suge Knight lost it in bankruptcy. And a month ago, you know, in January, he said the plan of Death Row was to put out an album between the Dog Pound and RB, uh, the Dog Pound and Lady of Rage together, a Sam Snead joint, like a lot of this vaulted music that we've heard about. I'm here for that. And as I said in the previous episode, Snoop has this ability of making people get back to that. Well, damn, you know, back in '94, I wanted this album, and I never got it. I can be excited about it now. So I'm all for that. I'm all for that, and I do agree with you. I think that Snoop realized a long time ago that a classic album in these days is never going to pay him what a show with Martha Stewart does or what, you know, uh, a merch partnership or a, a spot in a Super Bowl ad is going to pay him. 
but I hope just as a love of hip hop and as love of, of emceeing that he gives us one more at some point in the near future. Yeah, agreed, agreed. So he wasn't the only performer on the stage who released an album this week. Mary J. Blige also put out an album, surprise album called Good Morning Gorgeous. Um, I've listened to it too. I liked it. It was cool. Um, it also wasn't something that like made me like want to like run it back right away. Uh, I'll say that the, the title song, Good Morning Gorgeous, I, I liked quite a bit. And um, that's Mary in her bag, you know, um, talking about love of self, like really, uh, you, you know, love starts by loving yourself. And so, you know, and she talks about all the pain she's been through and it's well documented, the relationship she's had and how, uh, how they've turned out and the pain that she's gone through. So to see her talking about, you know, loving herself is, is, is really powerful. And that song struck a chord with me, but the rest of it, you know, even though she had some pretty great guests as did Snoop, um, there was nothing that really stuck out to me, but what did you think about it? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think with both of these albums, I get the sense that, you know, when this halftime show was announced, I believe in September, there was an opportunity and they're like, you know what, the, the, the sales, you know, the, uh, the ability, the exponent to bring attention to yourself, to your DSPs and all of that is, is you know, as good as it's ever going to get. So, so make sure you have some new product. And, you know, Snoop has this moment with Mary. I don't know if it's much of a moment, um, but yeah, just even in her, compared to her recent albums, it didn't stick to my ribs like that. But, you know, I, I certainly will give it another listen just to be sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So meanwhile, um, there were other things that were trending besides the Super Bowl, which is very surprising because it's usually all day, you know, just just this just the big game. But uh, you want to talk about someone else who was making waves? Yeah, you know, um, Kanye West is as if anyone uh, hasn't heard of Kanye in a while. I mean, he finds a way to just constantly stay in the news cycle. And, you know, respectfully, you and I have spoken about it, um, you know, especially after the, the, the concert with Drake in December. Um, it was December, right? Feels uh, like yep, yesterday. December. Yep, yeah. December 6th, I think it was, something like that. I mean, this is a man fighting for his family. And the last that AFH had covered him, you know, he kind of put a, a two-bar jab to Pete Davidson in a song he made with Game, Hit Boy, DJ Premier, and some others. But now, as it always seems to happen, anytime there's an album in, in the tuck, Kanye has been going hard on social media. And... You know, he has confirmed that Donda 2 is, is coming. You and I spoke about it recently. It's going to allegedly be executive produced by Future. Um, the big development today, Kanye was at the Super Bowl. There were several, you know, hip-hop stars there. Drake was there. The Weeknd was there. Cardi B. I think I saw Tyga. Um, Jay was there. By... Who? Jay oh, Jay-Z, of course. Yeah. 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 Um, with Beyonce, right? I didn't see her. I, I saw okay. Gray. I didn't see her, but. Got you. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, Kanye had some of the best seats in the house. I mean, he was sitting on the 50 with his daughter North and with Antonio Brown, who broke my heart when he left Pittsburgh many years ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was a trending topic because he sat there with the mask that he's been wearing. I was having a conversation with those in the room watching with me and they were like, is that trolling Kim for her outfit? I don't think so. I think what they're both doing is, really trying to manage their celebrity and manage their image. Although later point in the game, I did see that he had pulled the mask up 
and was nodding along to Dre's performance. But what's really made headlines is he has been really going at, at Pete Davidson, um, bringing up things that involve Mac Miller and Pete Davidson, apparently um, bringing some misery to Mac Miller surrounding relationship with Ariana Grande. These are things I never thought I would say on this podcast, by the way, but you asked. Um, and then also kid, uh, Kanye having, um, having a, a bit of a falling out with Kid Cudi, which is interesting because in that episode where we covered the concert for Amazon with Drake, you know, you have mentioned that, you know, Cudi's an interesting kind of chip between Drake and, um, and Ye. And because Kid Cudi maintains a friendship with Pete Davidson, um, Kanye said that they will no longer be working together, that, you know, as far as Donda 2 goes. And from what I read earlier in the week, you know, Cudi had put something on, on, on one of his social platforms and later took it down, kind of badgering back at Kanye of like, man, are you kidding? You know, F this. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, it's interesting stuff. Is there anything that about that, that that really grabs you or is it just, Typical Kanye rigmarole. Oh, man, it, it seems like there's something going on. It's not the typical rigmarole. It sounds like um, it seems to me like he might be having a bit of a manic episode or something because this is so, um, so extreme and, and so relentless. You know, um, he definitely has his moments, but this, this, this harkens back to those like Twitter outbursts that he would have where he would like shoot off like, 20 tweets in an hour and then like you know um so i don't know i hope, I just hope everything is, is okay for him if it i'll say this i mean you know one of the things that has distanced me on kanye as a fan over the last five or six years of stuff like this and and there's a fine line between somebody you know having um mental health challenges and somebody that knows how to manipulate celebrity in 2022 and you're absolutely right i mean there were moments we covered a lot of them over the years on afh where he would snap at wiz khalifa or he would you know have these rants and um it doesn't make me want the music if i'm being honest like it just it just seems too much spectacle and if you need help get it otherwise like put the phone down and um, yeah. And the other thing that I didn't, that I neglected to mention is he's even been going at Billie Eilish for allegedly making a point against Travis Scott at one of her concerts that she wants to make sure fans are okay before continuing, which is a very, it wasn't a joke as, as I took it. I think Billie was making a point, you know, following the Astroworld tragedy and Kanye said that was disrespectful to Travis and that she needs to publicly apologize. This is just a crazy time we're living in, in music, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, man. Is there a, give us some positive news from the week, though. Positive news for the week. Wow. Um, man, that's a, <laughs> that's a tough one. Um, Questlove's nominated for an Oscar. That's pretty okay. damn cool. That, that, that was for uh, Summer of Soul, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Him and Joseph Patel, uh, you know, guys that have been very supportive of AFH. I, I love it, and I encourage anyone that hasn't seen it you know, check out the film on Hulu. I don't want to say too much, but the Oscars are, I believe, March 27th. Um, so you got time to catch up. But uh, yeah, dope, dope. Yeah, it's a fantastic documentary. Uh, definitely worth a watch. It is a concert that was forgotten that was done in Harlem, I believe, featuring like Sly Stone and Nina Simone and 
Stevie Wonder and all these great legends. Uh, so really incredible. And Questlove directed the documentary. So yeah, salute to him for that. One other thing that I think that happened this week that's pretty cool as we uh, wind down too is, you know, one thing I'm sure you and I can agree on is that Lupe Fiasco's Food and Liquor, you know, would you call that a classic? Um, if not close to in that convo. Yeah, in that, uh, right. I definitely think it's one of his best albums. So, yeah. Definitely. I would not only say I, I think it's Lupe's best album, but I think that that was a hugely important album for hip hop in the mid 2000s. It, 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 you know, as things were, you know, certainly Kanye was doing what he was doing, but it, it lets you know there was diversity in thought. And Lupe had a style that I, I thought was really original and incredible. And, you know, he had he had some friends in high places between Ye and Jay-Z. Um, but if you know his story and know that he was somebody that kind of bucked around the label system, easy to root for him. And, you know, that album was bootlegged, you know, it leaked and really compromised what I thought was one of the greatest albums of that period. Uh, Lupe, you know, we've seen a lot of artists like Aesop Rocky and Lil Wayne and uh, Mac Miller's estate, Logic, I think, going back and taking mixtapes and authorizing them and making them, you know, clearing samples and doing all the paperwork to make them, you know, officially consumable. Lupe is going back and releasing some of the songs from the leaked version of Food and Liquor officially. And he put out a joint called Hustlers that I thought was really, um, you know, could have easily made the album and, and was one of those joints in rotation. Texted it to you. But I like to see artists again. I mean, it's in the same sort of theme as the conversation. They're owning their legacy. They're taking control of things. And they're thinking of the fans, too, which is, is just dope. Mm. Yeah, man. Well, um, there was some dope new music that came out this week. I'll tell you that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, one of my favorites, uh, one of my favorite songs in quite a while is a song. Uh, I think it's Fat Lip's song uh, called Good for the Soul. It's him, Blue, Raskas, um, Guilty by Association, Hemlock Ernst. There's a, a few different versions on it. There's a Knotts produced remix, but it's just so, it's, it's so dope. It's a jazz sample. All the MCs bring their best. I had not heard Fadlip in quite a while. Been a minute since I heard Raskas too. You know, we heard the um, Horseman last year, but um, just and, and and Blue too. It just was. It just flowed. I, I just love that song. Yeah, there was a variation of this group. I think it was Fadlip, Blue, and GBA, which is um, you know a producer. I want to say out of Japan. Um, and they put out a joint called Gangster Rap produced by Madlib um, recently. And I might have that slightly off. And then that same kind of unit came out with this one. And it was funny. You and I didn't talk about it. And then we, we often text each other new music. And both of us, I was like, this is standout. And I can't tell you what I like more between the Knotts remix or the original. Um, for those unaware, Hemlock Ernst is part of Future Islands, which is you know a band that I've been a fan of for years. And he also has passions for hip hop and works with, you know, quite obviously some of the best in the game, but you're absolutely right. You know, Blue had a killer uh, 2021 and I've always liked Fat Lip, probably was my favorite dude out of the far side. And just, this is, this is great. This is great. And I encourage anyone to check it out on our playlist. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, LA West coast love right there. Also in, you know, and a lot of LA love in the theme of this podcast, also want to give a shout out to, I never know if it's Nana or Nana. He was part of our uh, 2020 Nana. best of list. Nana. Nana. Yeah. What I love about this dude and, and, you know, he, 
even down to that, like he has been super duper low profile indie, no major associations yet up until this point. But, um, you know, he was a he was a fixture on our playlist in the past, but he's on his second or third single up to a new album. Details aren't really out there, but it was called Bet It Back. And I love that song. I played it 20 times through the week. It's just a damn good week for, for California hip hop, man. Yeah, yeah. He's another one to watch, man. Um, uh, but, you know, great, great celebration of, of L.A. rap. Uh, there's so many generations now, you know, started off with, in my opinion, Ice-T, you know, and then early N.W.A. And uh, you've had the Nipsies, um, you know, and I, I heard something. I heard um, actually, um, I think I heard Nipsey uh, in the background in, in the stadium earlier. You I was, was going to bring that uh, up. The, the, last the Rams. Yeah. They deliberately came out to that. And yeah. I thought that that yeah. was so cool, you know to honor him, you know? Yeah. So, yeah and, and shout out to you, you uh, put it on the playlist, but all those Dr. Dre songs from GTA that we talked yeah. about in 2021, they're now official. And a lot of people, you know, saw this podcast and it hit us up like, Yo, where can I find that? They're official now. And you can find the the best of the best on the AFH playlist. So yeah, man, uh, the song with him and Anderson Pack and Buster Rhymes, incredible. Um, absolutely incredible. And gospel with Eminem. It's it's a great compilation. I'm hoping that uh, maybe we get a Dre album too. That would be pretty dope. Well, if we do, we already know what the next uh, conversation topic for the upcoming "What's the Headline" will be, and I hope for that too. If not, or maybe both, some new Kendrick music. So. Yeah, for sure. So, what's your so, song of the week? You know what? I'm gonna go with a song um, that I didn't. You know what? No, I'm gonna go with what I did here tonight. I really, really, really enjoyed that. That moment, even though Scott Storch allegedly, not allegedly, he played the piano in the real version. I thought that still Dre moment tonight, um, you know, it, it gave me chills. Like it brought me back to the way I felt in 1999. And I'm so happy for Dre, Snoop, everyone on that stage. I'm going to go with still, still DRE. I'm going to go with the next episode, man. I don't think the chapter's closed. And uh, waiting, waiting to see what these West Coast artists got in store. Perfect, man. We go until we do it again. Word, man. All right. Peace. All right. Peace.